This episode of IRL is sponsored by Family Time, a boutique makeup brand inspired by unpaid domestic labor. The creators of Family Time want you to remember why you wear makeup in the first place, to ease the suffering of being alive. Now offering psychoanalytic makeup consultations for the whole family. Family Time is pioneering a new radical beauty wave with lifelong permanent implications. Stop by their pop-up shop at 188 Christie Street in the Lower East Side of New York City before October 28th to receive a full cosmetic and psychological makeover. Bring your trauma and your family and get 20% off all lipstick purchases, including their new To Die For color, Let's Do Tomorrow. by me, Ben Fama, and Monica McClure. Thanks for tuning in. I was recently thinking about a series that was going on here when I first moved here in 2007 called Poetry Time at Space Base. It was run by Lucy Ives, Brandon Downing, and Ben Gawker. And it was what I thought was Deep Bushwick. Maybe it still is considered that. And you go to a sort of unmarked warehouse. That's where they lived. And it was a really nice big space. Um, and they hosted readings there. And and they have like a trash can full of beer and uh, it's a very cool vibe. And I remember seeing Dana Ward there. I saw Kathy Wagner there. And basically anyone who came through town that you'd want to see would read there. And they stopped doing the series. So some friends of mine took over Poetry Time at Space Space and called it Poetry Time at the Chateau. We didn't actually take it over. We just kind of decided to do that. And... um. Recently, we were doing it at Leanne Brown's house, which was in Chelsea and was quite a chateau. And then um, we moved it to a bookstore called Codex Books, which is on Bowery and Bleecker in Manhattan, um, which is a really cool bookstore. Shout out to Robin Treadwell. Um, And I curated a few readings there. And one of them was with Kim Rosenfield. And she read this ASMR piece that was really breathtaking. Kim actually recorded a high-def version of her reading, the ASMR piece, so I'm going to play it now, and then we'll segue into the conversation Monica and I had with her about it. Good evening. Thank you for joining me again in this interesting new life-testing medium. I'm going to speak to you in an inaudible way. I hope this will relax you up and around your ear and deep down into your brain.
just decided to have some one-on-one time with you. Is that okay? I hope you trust me. You're safe here with me. Our existence as humans is a constant struggle. We are here to experience the best void for lonely 
Uh, so Kim, do you want to tell us how you came to ASMR and how you came to come up with the idea for this? Um, sure, yes. Um, AS, I, I found out about it, I mean, I, I don't know how long it's been around and on YouTube and sort of in the public consciousness, but I found out about it maybe five or six years ago from someone at work who suffered from extreme um, anxiety, and they were talking to me about it and how it helped them really calm down and um, that they had a very specific physical reaction to to the sound of the voice and the prompts. And so I looked into it and I thought it was really fascinating. And also for me, this intersect of sort of, um, you know, the voice has always been really important to me and um, the way it can soothe or rattle or how it's a, a, a carrier for language and especially in the work I do in, in psychotherapy and a, psych, a psychoanalytic setting, it I, I know I'm very aware of how my voice changes in that room and how mm. it unconsciously operates to soothe or create safety. Or mm. So I thought that there were a lot of interesting links. Um, and I never really... Um, I mean, I was always interested in it, but I never really thought of, of, of doing it until... More recently, and I'm tr I'm just trying to remember what what prompted me, but I I think there was something so intense about my own. I, I've been through a, a rough kind of three years and my own changes and my own need for my poetic work to mm -hmm. to work in a different way for me or to carry a kind of chaos of experience differently that I just wasn't getting at with my regular writing. And huh. and. Sorry. No, please, no, interrupt. Well, it's <laughs> not meant to psychoanalyze you as you oh, talk please, about. Oh, please, I love it. Your, your, <laughs> the practice of psychotherapy. Um, but a few years ago, I remember you losing your voice. Oh, my God, I totally forgot and about that. And, and it was uh, kind of at the juncture of a lot of changes in your life. And the That's, just, you know, it's so Thank you so much for bringing that up because it's fascinating to me that I totally forgot about that and blanked that out. But that was a year of struggling and I, it was, I think, totally psychosomatic and real. I went to an, a, a specialist who I did have a problem with my a stripped vocal cord, and but of course I lost my voice and was struggling to find it. And um, yeah, that's so interesting. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think that the direction for all of us for poetry has lost its voice and lost its way. Thank God, in a way. And I think we're all kind of rebuilding something in a, in a very unusual way. And we're all trying to find our own experience through through the chaos. And this is very Bionian to me, sort of mm -hmm. coming through the fire and... Perhaps there's something at the end of it, perhaps there's not, but change is chaotic and mm. um, traumatic and, and but it but it does it it does lead to something. Mm. So um, yeah. You have to whisper before you can shout <laughs> again. Or yeah, or, or I think um, hopefully be silent, I think. Mm. And um, in in the in the chaos for a minute, so I think my voice being silent was me just trying to be in the in the change in this radical change in my life that was um, yeah so interesting. 
Oh, the right, and then through that, I feel like I've bec- I like I found my metal. Like I know what I'm made of. Mm-hmm. Like I was couldn't speak and, and social. I was straining. I remember being at parties and just like it was loud. I'm like I can't talk. Nobody can hear me. I'm so frustrated. And then and then lo and behold, I'm like I've emerged a phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your voice was really sexy then when, when it was raspy and hushed. And everyone had to lean in towards you to hear you, so it was kind of endearing. I'm a low talker anyway, so people can never hear me. Mm-hmm. But that, but the sexiness I do miss. <laughs> <laughs> Although I remember my fr- my uh, college friend, like freshman year when I went to college, and she's very East Coast and very preppy, and um, and I think I was just a freak to her, being from the West Coast and being so ca- I don't know. She's very rigid, and I was very cash and. Um, and she, she she said something about being from California, and she said, "And you have that hot tub voice." And I, what I thought voice? a hot tub voice. Wow, wow. I think it's oh, a, a most amazing. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I I think I've been in a hot tub once. <laughs> but <laughs> wow, that's good. Oh, so, I hope that covers yeah. some of your questions. <laughs> well, now I just want to rant about um, how East Coast people like demand that you make yourself heard, and I I've never heard, and I find it rude when people uh, you're say, a low talker too. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. you know, I wish you could just listen harder because That's you're used to people speaking at a higher volume. That's super interesting. It, Right, right, right. So let's have a movement of people listen harder. Yeah. <laughs> we'll start whispering everything. Yeah, listen harder. You have to keep us on track then. Okay. Um, we can talk about fecal. I wanted to talk too. about. No, I wanted to talk about the contents of the poem, mm-hmm. of the piece, mm-hmm. and kind of the flow. Mm. You have there's gratitude in there. There's comfort. There's um, mm. abstraction. Um, and I kind of just wanted to talk about how just that flow and if, if, um, if someone was listening to that to calm themselves, it was, would it work? What? No, I, I can't, I, I actually, it's funny. I don't, I'm not sure about, I, I feel like maybe the gratitude might be misread. I feel like mm-hmm. for me, that's an incredibly dark piece yeah. and it's about me really falling apart and inviting people to watch that yeah um so i can't imagine how that would be calming Mm -hmm. um you know if it if it is for some some that's fantastic (laughs) Uh, so do you want to talk about wilfred beyond you said you're having some beyondian thoughts already Uh, earlier do you want to talk about what that means um i can't remember what i was thinking about um before but um, oh, the idea of chaos and destruction as, mm-hmm. as um, you know, being able to sit in the pain of that or go through mm-hmm. that. And, um, yeah, he's been so important to me for maybe 20 years. And I, I it's so funny, I just moved so I can't find my early notebooks on him and I cannot remember mm-hmm. how I came to him, but it was purely by chance. Mm-hmm. And maybe through reading Maurice Apri. Um, I just don't remember how I came to him, but I remember, and he's really difficult to read. And I have been studying for him for 20 years and I feel like I, I don't know anything and I couldn't explain a concept and I couldn't tell you 
um, which I think is what he would want. And that mm-hmm. was sort of what he set out to. He didn't want anything to be codified into um, a theory or structure. Um, but I, f- I found there's something I immediately responded to him. He seemed really out there and really like a, a beautiful... A, be- a beautiful analyst, a very poetic, philosophical, out there analyst, and I'm, th- I'm always drawn to the outlier theorists, who are really complicated and difficult and just sort of don't quite add up. Um, and so I read books about him, which helped me begin to understand him. And um, he did have a real break from his British training and his British. Um, analytic society and and became very mystical and that's when people thought he lost his Mm. mind and that's when I think he is just extraordinary and has so much to offer the world and so um you know so many different concepts that I could talk about but I'm very I've always been very very much influenced by his idea of O Mm -hmm. which changes every time I read him so I couldn't Uh tell you you know, someone who's a Bionian scholar is going to like hear this and say, what the fuck is she talking about? But I'm turning the comments off in case you're getting (laughs) the Bionian scholars out there, fingers start burning. But even the idea of a Bionian scholar, I think for Bion would be a miss. (laughs) Um, But O is sort of this idea of something of the unknown that we, it's the unthought known that we know is out there. He's, he's at times described it as Godhead, as mm-hmm. God, as, um, and it's a force that we, we, we just have faith it's there and we strive for it, but we'll, we, we can't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can at times mean absolute destruction and devastation mm-hmm. in, in my mind, or, um, but it's this unlimit, it's this limitless infinity. So it's very, I think, I don't know a lot about um, Zen, and mm-hmm. you know, I think it, it shows that he, he did, he was raised in India, and um, mm. he was a colonizer in India, and his family's <laughs> British family, but I think there is some of that in his work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the idea of, oh, which I feel like is out there that I hold in mind. It feels just, you know, like any sort of mystical or religious belief, it's, it's bigger than us. It's a thing that's mm-hmm. bigger than us. And his whole, much of his work is about not knowing and not being the one who knows. And I feel that, I mean, I'm getting chills. I just find that it's such a simple idea, but I find it so profound and so important in my, you know, um, psychoanalytic life and in my poetic life. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just coming into a sense of that in a very different way in my 50s because I always had that in my mind but always thought I didn't know and that wasn't a good thing Mm. and everyone else knew more Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. so he also has this idea and I have it like engraved in my passport holder of um, I don't say this exactly but I I just say without memory and desire of approaching each Mm -hmm. session he worked with psychotic psychotics mostly um, of approaching a session without memory or desire. Mm-hmm. I remember when you were describing that, yeah. you said the yeah. ineffable O, is that yes, how he exactly. says it sometimes? It's the ineffable, it's mm-hmm. the un- unnameable. It's, so his idea is that um, if you're the one who knows, you're blocked from an experience of of existence or of, of, 
of a meeting of, of minds. And that's mm. the work that has to be done, that two minds have to meet. There's, there's what he calls thoughts without a thinker. Mm. So both minds have to be um, attuned in order for for him, the analyst mind, to help digest the unconscious material, the, the um, alpha, it's called the alpha elements of a patient, the unconscious. And kind of like a mom with a baby bird, I think of like giving back the food and <laughs> digest it. He does talk about mm. the digestive, and so did Winnicott. Digest those elements into beta elements that are, that are more knowable. But nothing is ever really knowable, but it's a sense of accompaniment. It's a sense of... Um, mm. But but that the analyst isn't the one saying this is what's happening. It's it's a very mutually mm-hmm. um, one can't happen without the other, and mm-hmm. and it's two minds thinking through us. These ideas of thoughts without a thinker and container mm-hmm. and contained. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if that makes any sense. But but the idea of approaching as an analyst, I find it so. I mean, I've, I've always kind of joked and said every day people say, "How can you do this work? It's so difficult, it's so draining." And, but I, I do feel like every day, um, I just feel like I'm, I'm like going on an expedition and I just take my water bottle and I don't know what's going to happen. And I've always mm. had that feeling. So when I read that, I thought, that's so beautiful. I mean, that's mm. the, you, it's not a blank slate. It's a, it's you're bringing yourself and your mm. experience, but you're, you're not, you're staying open. And this is so reductive. Um, he's probably rolling over in his grave, but you're staying no. open but mainly open to tolerating chaos mm. which i yeah. think is something coming from uh experimental language poetry world mm-hmm. i'm familiar with it in language for mm-hmm. sure um so i feel like i had a little bit of a affinity for it and mm-hmm. and um tolerance for it yeah. so is there um things that you instruct your patients to do no. <laughs> so there's I mean, no to practice. tell me what's on their yeah. mind or to start anywhere or mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Yeah. So there's no thought exercises or... No, that would be kind of contrary to yeah. uh, what I think is important. And I think it can be frustrating or complicated for people mm-hmm. to, to settle into that and to understand. But I, I feel like I... Um, it doesn't take long to kind of... Mm-hmm model that anything anything goes mm-hmm. in a way and um, that's that's our work and I don't you know I I have a trained ear and but we're we're thinking through it together mm-hmm. you know it yeah it's sort of like the Copernican you know when one finds out the the sun didn't revolve around the earth it's mm-hmm. sort of like oh so um, we're not the center of our universes Mm. and um, and this is for for psychoanalysis there's been a long tradition of sort of the the mystical oracular analyst Mm -hmm. who who takes in the information then presents the ticker tape of um, what is happening it's a very 12th house kind of vocation (laughs) there is a really strong analog in the twelfth house in oh, astrology. It's interesting because, and I've always thought it was kind of contradictory because it's the afterlife, the unknown, the unconscious, mm. but it's also mm. prisons, institutions. Oh. So anything that dissolves the self. Oh. So it's funny to think of it being as like both like amorphous, like the afterlife, and also like something that keeps you 
from from dispersing or going somewhere else, mm. like a prison or a madhouse. Mm. That's super interesting. And it's right. it's, it, in it's a container chart. You know, it's it's in you. So you have you know parts of yourself that are um, communicating with it, mm. and like kind of you're you're moving towards it in a way too because the houses are mm. supposed to be somewhat correlated to the stages of your life. Huh. So it's not so like interesting. it's totally absent from your. It's the undi unknown. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I think in so many um, realms of mysticism and yeah. spirituality, this exists. This mm-hmm. idea exists, but it never in psychoanalysis. I mean, he was really, mm-hmm. really outcasted for this. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think your poetry is a way for you to regurgitate? digested <laughs> stuff that you have to you have to keep in i mean uh you know metaphorically there's like a, a bit of body horror there you know because you were doing this sort of alchemical mm. process for this other person yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i think it is and i i've never thought of it that way i think it's something really interesting to think about I mean, i've always felt like my poetry was mine Mm. I didn't have to be in service mm-hmm. of my mind and someone else's mm-hmm. mind, and that always felt very different. But I think that's something some, that's something about that, like working through sort of mm-hmm. all the interpsychic experience and mm-hmm. how, to, how to process that and how to disseminate that. Mm. And, Is yeah. this um, the first time you've explored? healing or the possibility of a kind of therapeutic mm. um, reaction or response to your work to your poetry oh well you are so kind of has a, a similar serviceable conceit <laughs> so interesting I, and I would say like I don't believe in cure and healing yeah. and in a way like or soothing or, well I believe in soothing I believe yeah. in soothing um, holding holding a holding mm. environment but I mean, I, who am I to say if it cures or soothes or heals somebody? Fine, I didn't. That's not my intention. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, oh my God, it's me. I'm trying to. <laughs> it's all. That's always yeah. Of course, it's me. Right. No, no. I and I actually feel like I'm gonna die if I can't get to my writing. It's been a rough couple of years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And- so you guys, thank you for helping me understand my own. <laughs> we're just making a digestible version of this raw data you're giving us i'm sweating now I'm so exposed um so i do kind of want to talk about how you think your poetry has changed and um yeah you know you were you were deep in sort of the conceptual world for a long time and yeah. Um, that's sort of, people there, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so everyone seems to kind of be either not doing stuff or going their own way and yeah. whatever, yeah. whatever. So yeah. I kind of just want to see where you're at with your new writing and kind of just what you see yeah. yourself doing. I mean, I've come up through so many genres and I've, I've been writing since I was 13 and had a book published at 15 in, in LA with poets who were, who were much older and had a very specific practice and aesthetic and so I had that and then I so what to... was happening in LA when you were 15 
Um, well, there was kind of the equivalent to St. Mark's was Beyond Baroque. Mm-hmm. It's still there. I don't it's know still there. No, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had this incredible kismet moment mm-hmm. of meeting Beyond Baroque at the absolute time where I think it was at its pinnacle yeah. mm-hmm. with Amy Gersler, Dennis Cooper, Bob Flanagan, Jack Skelly, Benjamin Weissman, Mike uh-huh. Kelly, um, you know, I didn't know that. Elaine Equi and Jamsala coming through. It was just this, I mean, ma- among many, 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 mm-hmm. many, many. And I didn't even know how fucking outrageous and rare and precious that was. It was just like, oh, that's what the art, that's what being an artist mm-hmm. is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was 13. I didn't have a drive. My, my parents didn't know what to do with me. I was writing this really weird poetry. My mom read like in some newspaper that there were these workshops in Venice which was very far from our suburban home and my mm-hmm. parents drove me to the workshop and sat in the parking lot and I was terrified and I walked into this building that from my suburban eyes looked really you know sketch and I was really scared and there was Dennis and Bob and Jack and Amy and Wanda Coleman and you know some real LA types and um and I read this poem about being like high, being thirteen, basically, and they were so amazing. Like <laughs> they just were. It was just open arms, and I, I just felt like, oh my god, I found my people. And then I wanted to drop out of school, and um, it was really hard. Like I just wanted to be in that world, mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't. But um, so that was a really special talk about a holding environment and a containing um like unbelievable experience for me and um and then I went through high school and then I moved to New York to come to college and uh it was quite the opposite it was really brutal and alienating and um disparate and I I I realized I w- I had had such a special Mm-hmm. kind of magical confluence of gym instrument like artists and mm-hmm. um you know just so many um jeffrey valance like all these artists coming together and everyone everyone just being at everything together and mm-hmm. so um yeah i had a rude awakening and then i f- met uh, rob fitterman and got involved with language poetry and that was its own really complicated which i don't really want to talk about but um it was its own complicated experience and then and then through that conceptual writing and so there was a kind of way in which i always felt you know i'm self-taught i didn't do an mfa i didn't um and i always felt like i think i was talking about that that others knew more and i needed to attend to that and i needed to pay attention so there was always a complication for me with a more dogmatic schema of poetics where i felt mm-hmm. like i just don't have the chops and i don't when really i'm finding now that it's just never been my bag <laughs> to mm-hmm. to embrace yeah. a, a dogma mm-hmm. um so so it was very beneficial for me in a lot of ways, and I learned a lot and constructive. And but right now I feel, and I feel like many of us, um, there was something heady about that time and that and our community together that mm-hmm. also felt pretty magical and special during the conceptual yeah. writing days. But um, I, I'm really excited. I feel like it's taken a little while, but we're all finding other ways of writing that feel really 
in tune with the political climate, in tune with the way gender and everything and climate and everything is changing and it embraces all of that. And I feel like we're all, we've all been somewhat starved for a very um, inclusive, free-form experience mm -hmm. that isn't codified in theory. So I feel like that's where I'm going. I'm just doing my thing. And I, yeah. But it's more autobiographical, and I feel like oh, many mm -hmm. of our peers are, are doing that as well, mm -hmm. writing more personal work. Yeah, um, I would agree. Which I'm super excited about. Mm -hmm. So, although I'm so slow, I mean, I'm just such a slow writer. It's just taking me forever. But I do, I have something together. But it's, you know, it's uh, it takes a really long time for me. You're prolific, so. though. No, it's been like I'm like uh, cat power. It's been like six <laughs> years. I mean, I have a new album, but it's you been a long a time. Yeah, I went to Ten Bar for a while. Like now yeah, it always seems like forever when you're reading, but when you look back on it, you've done quite a bit. Oh, you guys, yeah. you've produced a lot. Well, it was different times. You mm -hmm. know, I feel like it's it's just whatever. Yes, thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I have. I guess. Yeah. I want to sort of to another topic before we end yeah. and ask you I'm about... Ending. I'm just getting warmed up and sweating. <laughs> and like... um, <laughs> about how you came to your sense of smell and scent and your forays into Yay. making sense and your sense as a nose and... I know all these myths. I'm maybe making this all up in oh, my head. Oh, tell me you, the myths. You worked, I'm sure it's all true. You um, were a perfume counter person. Yeah, I worked, well, not exactly, skincare and perfume. Okay. Clinique. So, yeah. Okay. A clin okay. Clinique. Macy's. Oh, a, cl a Clinique. Mm -hmm. An Estee Lauder subsidiary. Yes. Yes. So how'd you come to this? Oh my God, I love Because I can't smell for shit. You don't know shit. this story? <laughs> you don't know the story of Clinique and Macy's? Okay. I didn't know you workshop with Dennis Cooper when you were 13. I don't oh, you know about didn't? your company. Oh, I thought no. I was you just like telling you no. what. I know. I'm the keeper of your secrets. I can't <laughs> believe. Okay, tell he, he blurred now. my first chapbook on the back. Yeah. Well, well. Yeah. What did he say? Let's find it. It's really sweet. Oh, I don't have it. Oh, my God, no. No, I can see all her books from here, y'all. I have it somewhere, but um, something about like a mirror wiped totally clean of its cocaine, like something about my writing and using that, which I love that image. Wow. Um, it's really beautiful. Um, wow. <laughs> did your parents then, see that? Of course. Oh, my God. They were very involved in my... They had to be. They had to drive me everywhere. They had to help me sneak into Al's bar for my first reading. <laughs> Wow. I was underage. I snuck in. But and Dennis also, um, we would talk a lot about boys because I was like really mm -hmm. boy crazy. And <laughs> as was he. And he made me this book. I had to get it for my parents. He made me this gift, I think, for one holiday that was, it was called, it's this book called Same Taste in Men. My jaw is me. on the floor. <laughs> and it's all these beautiful boys and, you know. That he made. That he made, it's Xeroxed, oh. images like from Tiger Beat or something, but he cut out the covers, all construction paper. Yeah, I'll have, wow. to, I'll have to retrieve that artifact. Oh, yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> that the best title? <laughs> wow, I'm shook. <laughs> so we can end the interview right there. Yeah, Dennis, I hope you're that. listening. <laughs> you were so formative yeah, I'll send this to, to me. Him. <laughs> And his work really dealt with going into the depths of violence and chaos and, mm -hmm. and 
destruction and I, I think that was a huge and still is a huge influence on me did the poem you wrote when you were 13 that you read to the room <laughs> go into violence and death so and in, in my little 13 subjects? year old way yeah. my little sh- shaded sheltered suburban <laughs> you know dovecote of a <laughs> idea of violence what did I know mm-hmm. you know so um, yeah I think they were kind of dark those poems I was super, I mean, I was obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe and Bleak House, Dickens, and I read mm, a lot of... Dinosaur mm. in the Mud. Yeah. So, in the, yeah. Yes. Good, yes. beautiful opening. Oh my paragraph. God, the, the, I got like, I knew I had to leave um, my high school, public middle school, because I, for my book project, I dressed in my mom's huge wedding gown and did my, and dressed as Miss Havisham and gave a monologue. From right. um, and they were like they were like and I'm like okay I got I gotta find something else <laughs> I gotta find another gig. Now I'm gonna Okay, so perfume. Um, uh, so I am blessed and cursed with like a bloodhound nose mm-hmm. always, and and um, it's really a blessing and really a curse. Mm -hmm. I can smell like a hound dog, like molecular shit. Um, It's intense. Yeah. And I think because I have all kinds of vision impairments, Mm -hmm. that it's the sense that got Mm -hmm. super developed. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's intense. So I can always, I don't know how I exactly, I always love perfume. I always would like, um, like walk to the suburban pharmacy and and look at what there was. And I didn't have any access to anything and there was no internet, but remember wearing like Love's Baby Soft and whatever they had, some like Diane von Furstenberg. And I just, I was really attracted to the idea of smelling, smelling good. And my grandmother always, who was very elegant to me, always wore beautiful perfume. And I just remember like her skin being very tan and soft Mm. and smelling amazing. Do you remember what she wore? Oh, we have to stop. <laughs> what set, what notes did she have at that early age? She wore Chanel number five. Mm-hmm. I remember that from the earliest. And she wore a Guerlain, um, like a Guerlain cologne, and she had a huge thing of it on her. She was very elegant. My mom was the opposite, like T-shirts, jeans, no fuss. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my idea of femininity. And so anyway, so I've always worn perfume. It's always been important. And then I had a million jobs trying to support myself after college. And one of them eventually was, um, and I, I, it was the days when you could work a couple part-time jobs and live in Manhattan. And, um, and I, I worked for Clinique. I just thought this is a lark. This would be really interesting. And I worked at Macy's and I worked on the third floor, which then was the exclusive floor. And they had me doing makeovers in this little back room and I didn't wear, I didn't know how the fuck to do makeovers. And I remember like putting, I was so nervous, like my first makeover, women would sit and I put this like anti-acne cream by accident as concealer. And I'm like, oh, that's not the right shape. And I quickly tried to get it off and hope her eyes didn't leak out of her skull. So I was really bad at it, but I was really good at selling and I was really good at listening. And I realized it was really not about the makeup. It was about people wanting to have more self-confidence and, and mm-hmm. feel better about themselves. And, and that's, so that's why I started to think about um, doing, being a therapist. Or even the experience of going in and having someone focus their attention on them, touch them, uh, talk yes. to them. My, in my 
going to make them feel better. Interaction. Yeah. 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 And so I thought I would do, I would love my, my dream was to do therapy in a kind of makeup studio and do makeovers. And, um, so wait, oh, so perfume. So perfume just came into that. I was, I researched, I, I was really into aromatics elixir. And I remember like the girls at the Estee Lauder counter, when I would walk by, they're like, that smells so badly. I just, there was a rat in here and I just sprayed it on the rat, but it's a very intense, intense, <laughs> Um, fragrance. It was yeah. really unusual. I could go on and on about it, um, but I really loved it, and and that and that led me to researching other perfumes. And eventually, I, I have a huge I have a huge collection of perfume, and um, began to study it sort of on my own, and really wanted to 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 be a nose at some point, but couldn't swing that. Is there a through line of the scents that you like? It, it's sometimes, I mean, it changes with hormones and age and, but yes, I totally am a, I'm a Kiefer girl, um, which is like a, it's a, it's a more, um, it's a fruit with a really heavy, like oak moss, mm -hmm. woodsy base. And that's sort of all, all the things I'm drawn to have mm -hmm. that, a fruit or a flower that has a really uh -huh. intense base and my my favorite classic perfume is mitsuko and i wore that all through my daughter's birth and childhood mm -hmm. and um but mitsuko there there are all these eu bans on importing uh ingredients and it's it's main thing that makes it so earthy and strange is oak moss which got banned so it's kind of wow. changed oh, but really? um, it got yeah for allergies i mean mm. people can smoke cigarettes and get cancer but god forbid you have oak moss in your mitsuko mm. <laughs> does the fragrance you wear now have an oak moss in it no there yeah. is no more and it doesn't even have an artificial this is um portrait of a lady mm -hmm. and it has but it has a it's not quite a kaifer it's it's a more oriental like a modern oriental mm -hmm. um but i like really voluptuous yeah. i like i like to really i don't like soft clear clean yeah. i don't like anything clean yeah <laughs> um perfume so not your poetry not your perfume yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> multi multi layered so anyway oh i could talk a lot about that <laughs> well i think you should do therapy in a makeup counter environment i think should. i should too yeah I want to hear more about the rat that was sprayed on the yeah, rat and I what you too. had to say about to that. About These girls were so bitchy to me. I felt like I was so nice, but they're just so bitchy. It was a really competitive, we were all on commission and it's kind of cutthroat. I should make well, like they a spray a yeah. rat with perfume. <laughs> There's something going on there. Well, we just had tons of it like behind the counter to spray and I guess... You know, they thought that was the equivalent of smelling like rat poison or it would kill, it would choke a rat. <laughs> so, yeah. I loved it. I wore it at my wedding. And I love the, the thing about it. It's so strong and it's, it's the first, it has like um, oils in it, essential oil. That was one of the first American perfumes to do that. And it has like 50,000 ingredients. and um, 50,000? Yes, it has a lot, a lot in it. It's supposed to be like an alchemical mixture, uh -huh. um, but you you walk through it, you spray it, and then you walk through it so it clings to uh, you. You don't spray it directly okay. on your skin. Is that what you're supposed to do with all perfumes? No, 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 just that one. Oh yeah. shit! <laughs> I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, wait, you can do whatever you want. I just thought that would get less of it on you. It does. It does, for sure. If you want less, for sure. If you want that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or you can spread on your fingers and like... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But then it gets on my fingers. And? <laughs> gets on my bag. Gets on my metro oh, cart. Oh, I love that. Gets, oh my God, I love gets on the subway bag. pole. Oh. <laughs> That's good. What do you wear? What's your... Um, I don't know. I found something in the closet of the apartment I live in. Oh. It's prob- I'm probably Italian. like, this is so gross. They left it behind. And I'm like... <laughs> what? I'm so dying to know. I'll, I'll will let tell you know me, when I get yeah, it. I can smell it though. I don't have it on now. Oh, I don't wear oh, it that often. You probably smell oh. how bad I smell. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, my guts, I I'm like, she's smelling all this molecular know, crap really I've been carrying around yeah. for years. I'm a little stuffed up in the fire, happening, raging. Yeah, there's a fire. Yeah. The building's on fire. <laughs> um, Monica, do you have any burning yeah, questions wanted, before we wrap up? Yeah, I just wanted to go back to. Um, you mentioned femininity when you were talking about your grandmother mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how you, you didn't have that with your mother and being drawn to her. And I wonder if, well, I, I know your work, so I know that you explore femininity as a construct and complicated and all of that. Um, but particularly in this piece, um, I wonder if you felt more kind of embodied um, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a woman, mm-hmm. you know, as um, um, a feminine voice because of mm-hmm. the the kind of um, you know cultural context that like and the um, kind of the uses of this genre i guess of asmr Mm. because Mm. i've always understood it i could be wrong as um um something that women create and that men listen to there are men who do it okay see i only know the women who are often Eastern European. Yeah, totally. And My favorite is Maria, who's, yeah, I think yes. she's, um, yeah. I, you know Maria? I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I listen yeah. to them sometimes because I do find them really soothing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, to me it just feels like particularly um, mm. feminine because it's small. It's like a small mm. sound. It's gentle. It probably brings to mind, like, a mother reading you know, a bedtime story, which you know, of course, anyone might find soothing. Um, but I guess I don't know. I I wonder if it felt. I don't know. Your some of the things that come up like thematically, like mm. it felt especially um, feminine and spirit. So interesting. I think that's yeah yes I mean I mean um, it's not a standalone piece it's part of this very long manuscript mm-hmm. that is sort of the the um, the evolution of these past three years of me making mm-hmm. a really really radical change in my life and everything that I knew being somewhat unearthed and having a, some health problems and mm-hmm. having an experience of my body and my will and everything challenged pretty hard um 
so I, I think it challenged my idea of femininity mm -hmm. and, and things I had relied on and that didn't hold me anymore. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so de definitely, mm -hmm. definitely. And, and, you know, being, turning, being, turning 50 and making a radical change at 50 that unearthed mm -hmm. everything and sort of what does that mean as a woman and what does that mean, um, you know, in so, in so many ways. So I, yes, mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a, it feels to me like it's the, it's the embodiment, air quotes, of mm -hmm. all of that. This, this piece is sort of the, the culminate, the um, denouement in mm -hmm. a way of just how does one sustain, how does one go on? But I think it's also about the difficulty mm -hmm. of being human in the world and especially mm -hmm. the world now. And it's, yeah. um, it's hard. It's hard to sustain a life you know for anyone especially these days so mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
Start watching 